when you're rock bottom, Justin, there's only one way but up. That's my spin. Spins uh, I didn't expect you to feign positivity. You're actually back? I took a the text little, line is loving. I took a little reset button there. No. You know what Be happened? Angry. I read this Aaron Rodgers quote that's on our uh, rundown by Daniele. Mm. Let me read it for you. <clears throat> the night is darkest before the dawn, and I shall rise yet again. Aaron Rodgers in his first post since injury. Aaron Rodgers could find a way to be positive about rupturing an Achilles and being 40 years old after four snaps, lasting 75 seconds, then we can do it, Blue Jays fans. Do you feel any guilt about the 75 seconds? Like, we were like, enough. No, I, was, no, it, I don't no. want to see any, and then we're not. It like, was, I won't see a single snap from Aaron Rodgers all year. Yeah, we'll get into that. Ben Shulman, Blue Jays broadcaster at Sportsnet 590 The Fan. How are you feeling this morning, Ben? Uh, I'm feeling okay, but, uh, you know, in, uh, in Blue Jay world, things are, are not great. I mean, they have not played well uh, to the, uh, pretty, uh, extreme degree over the last couple of days. And, and they have once again, put themselves in a pretty difficult spot. I was at the game last night, regrettably, um, part of the squad that had the boo birds coming out. I, I did it. I just, it never happened before. I just had to release <laughs> some energy. Um, I think justified despite, uh, despite being, you know, still on the cusp. You still, there's still a chance, but Blue Jays fans feel like this is rock bottom. Um, there just seems to be a little bit of a distaste towards this team as of late. Uh, how do you begin to, I mean, justify, you don't need to justify the fans reaction, but like, it feels like we're really at the lowest point of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it it is the most important part of the season and they were coming off playing well, admittedly, against some bad teams. But this Texas team is came in playing some of their worst baseball and now they've won, uh, you know, including some Oakland wins. So they've won five in a row and, and have taken the season series from the Blue Jays. And even if the Blue Jays win tonight, they will not be ahead of the Texas Rangers. So, uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. When you buy the... The ticket, you're allowed to do whatever you want within, you know. Oh, that's the worst sound in radio. (laughs) Oh, it's okay. We'll get him back in a moment. We'll get him back. It's early enough where we can still get him back. Boom. That was like a more profound drop. It was it was really like a pristine <laughs> drop. It wasn't really like it, it was just the best it, drop we it could was, have asked That for. was the best drop we've ever had. <laughs> just a crisp drop. Yeah. Not even like a... There, just, was, there was no mistaking that drop. Yeah. That was pretty clear uh, what had happened there. This would be an interesting conversation because... He's you're, a pretty positive guy, Ben. He's very measured. And you're positive. Mm-hmm. I would say you're positive. He's measured. <laughs> what, I'm not I measured? Where, I don't know where I... I, I, uh, I think he's more measured. Like yeah, he did, well, this morning gets, I was <laughs> riding emotion. I, yeah, I mean, I don't think he would, would have been as angry as you were this morning. So, like, I think we got things bouncing off each other here. But, yeah, we'll get him back in a second here and uh, we'll let him con- uh, complete that thought. Yeah, Ben, we lost you about halfway through the, your answer there, you know, just detailing what was happening with Texas coming in and I guess where the Blue Jays have fallen short here. Yeah, I mean, they, they haven't even really hit or pitched well enough in any of the games to to put themselves in a chance to win. And this was a series that really looked like it was for the taken for the Blue Jays. So at the end of the day, I, I understand the people, you know, showing their displeasure. You can, if, if you buy the ticket, you're kind of allowed to do what you want without getting, uh, you know, too disrespectful. And I don't think booing crosses that line. So, uh, yeah, I get, I get why the people... 
you know, decided to show their emotion yesterday, and it hasn't been good enough for the Blue Jays, and uh, it needs to turn around. And even if it does turn around today, it's still a, a failure of a series overall. Do you think the booing, uh, and we're talking about influence, right? Like, what, what is it worth? What does it mean? Uh, I think you could maybe make the argument that the booing prevented Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from taking that last at bat because uh, the Boo Birds could have been out for him uh, in full force. Uh, do you think that's why he was lifted from the game? I just think the game was out of hand, to be honest, and they're just trying to get guys rest as much as possible. I mean, at, at the end of the day, um, you know, they are already quite injured um, and they, you know, have guys like Vladdy who play every day. So I, I think for the most part, they were just getting getting really beat up and, and it didn't really matter what happened in that at-bat. So they may as well give Spencer Horowitz, uh, you know, another at-bat to get under his belt in that situation. Oh, so we're talking uh, about you uh, when, when you dropped off the line, uh, talking about how you're a measured guy. Uh, and there's always time for a, a measured approach, of course. But, of course, this season uh, may hinge on the next and will hinge on the next couple games and maybe even just tonight. Uh, do you see it as the season on the line tonight? Do you see the Blue Jays being able to recover from four straight losses to Texas and what was advertised and what was the biggest series of the season? Yeah, I mean, it it definitely feels like the season's on the line tonight. Uh, there is still a, a reality that's possible in which they lose tonight and make it. I mean, if they lose tonight, the most they could be back of the wild card is two games uh, of Seattle. They, they would be two and a half back of Texas. And it's still certainly possible to be two games back with 15 games to go and make it but it would be real it would hurt them a lot and you can imagine that uh you know for things that can't be measured exactly for the team psyche and everything if they can't go out and and win one of these games that it'll certainly hurt them it also wouldn't help that they'd be chasing i mean it already doesn't help that they're chasing seattle and texas two teams now that both have the tiebreaker on them so i i think it's possible to lose tonight's game and make the playoffs but it's a lot more difficult than uh, than it would be if if you could just win tonight's game and at least end that series on a positive note and, and then half a game back of the Rangers. But you, when you look at the fact that Texas and Seattle do play each other seven more times before the season is over, I, I do still think it, it, that it is possible to lose tonight and make the playoffs. I mean, the Blue Jays don't really get much relief. Uh, the Red Sox in town, then they go to the Yankees, then they play the Rays, then they play the Yankees. And I know that two of those teams, and then they play the Rays. Two of those teams are just battling for not wanting to be in last place, but they got an opportunity to play spoiler. These are teams that are rivals, right? It's going to be AL East heavy for the rest of the schedule all the way. Um, not really something you can look at and say, oh, they're below 500. Should be easy for the Blue Jays. They're the most competitive of under 500 teams. Um, if anything, I think you look at the schedule, you know their AL East um, record this year, and it's not promising. Like, if it, it to me, it's actually. It's actually a bigger mountain to climb than I had previously looked at, just knowing that these teams will want to come in or want to play the Blue Jays at home and embarrass them. Yeah, I mean, it is not, yeah, it's not two teams that I think I would look at their record and just attribute, okay, mm-hmm. they're, 
they're that good of a team or that tough a team to beat because of their record. The Blue Jays, you know, had a lot of trouble in the first half with Boston. They lost all seven games to them. They did end up sweeping them in Davis Shatter's debut series. So whatever that means, we're about to find out and we'll see. And then, yeah, they haven't seen the Yankees or the Rays in a while. And they, they played the Yankees and the Rays okay in the first half of the season. But who knows, not to mention the Yankees and Rays are both essentially entirely new baseball teams for different reasons. Uh, the Yankees with, a, with some call-ups and the Rays with a ton of injuries that they've had to replace. So it, it doesn't get any easier. I think in a lot of ways you could have looked at Texas and thought that this was the easiest series that the Blue Jays had for the remainder of the season just because of how poorly the Rangers were playing coming into the series. But, yeah, it won't get easier. The Blue Jays are going to have to, you know, seriously get it together over this last stretch if they're going to be a playoff team after all. So the boos are one thing, but uh, the lack of attendance might be even louder in terms of messaging. Uh, Are you surprised uh, how lightly attended these last three games have been? Yeah, I, I am a little bit. I mean, because also, you know, like if you go back to the first game, I mean, they were playing well going into that one. Uh, there were, you know, there wasn't much of a reason to boo them at that point. So yeah, it is, you know, the middle of the week. It's it's getting a little bit colder, and and maybe people's mind are uh, are a little bit less on baseball than than it used to be. But uh, it, it did surprise me a little bit, especially earlier on in the series. I think and. Uh, Uh, it's interesting. We'll see what goes on with the Red Sox series over the weekend and and maybe if attendance ends up like beefing back up. But I I would be surprised if like for the series opener, there was a lack of attendance due to fans trying to send a message to a team that they shouldn't win like eight out of 10 games or something like that. So um, a a little surprised, but uh, I, I think that it could just, be you know september starting and and people turning their attention toward uh non-summer-like activities anymore i'd be a little wary about this weekend there's a lot of red sox fans that travel and that even live in our city i know some of them and might have to defriend them uh so it could even be a little bit of a cheer against the blue jays at times uh hopefully that's not the case uh, talking to ben shulman blue jays broadcaster at sports at 590 the fan uh, here's a question that I've thought about for 146 games, and I don't know the answer yet. What is this team's identity? I don't know, and and uh, I'll be honest, I I I don't know what anyone's identity is other than their record, especially at this point in the year. Um, I mean, I guess if if I had to pick, it would be like strong pitching. Um, but in my in my mind, the Blue Jays' identity is is 80 and 66. Mm. I think um, because you know, they, they haven't been good enough. If they, you know, even like, you know, Vladdy's struggling, that's been a uh, story of the season. But if they were four wins better, even if they weren't good with runners in scoring position, I think that people would, would be fine with it. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't have a great answer for that. If I had to pick, I guess it would be starting pitching. But my, my favorite answer is, is 80 and 66 is their identity, and that's not good enough right now. I don't think I have a great answer either, but my identity for the Blue Jays would be gatekeeper. It's pretty clear. Uh, they beat bad teams. They lose to good teams. Uh, and in a season where maybe there are more bad teams than there are good, uh, that's been worth a decent record and I guess a shot at the playoffs. Uh, but, you know, when you look at that meager record against great teams, does that is that not stronger than the record, uh, in, at least in terms of, hey, what this team is all about and what they really are? 
I mean, you got to be able to beat, you know, playoff caliber teams. And, and for a lot of them, that does just come back to the division, frankly. I mean, they, they haven't done poorly necessarily against good teams that aren't in their division. You know, like they've split the season series with the Seattle Mariners. They beat the Houston Astros in the season series. Texas, who they had some trouble with there. And they have a, a really good interleague record, including against some pretty strong teams. But it, it comes back still to being, you know, 3-10 and 10 against the Baltimore Orioles and, and you know, 3-7 and seven against the Boston Red Sox, who are an above 500 team to contribute to that record, at least right now, and, and still not being a, a positive in your overall record against Tampa Bay and the Yankees. So I think that at the end of the day, it comes back around to the division. The Blue Jays, even in a more balanced schedule season, it's not a balanced schedule. The Blue Jays play their divisional rivals more than other teams, and they didn't play well enough in the majority of series against them, and it continues to hurt them. I mean, they have a significantly worse divisional record than a team like the Boston Red Sox, who's not even really contending for the playoffs, and that's – that's a lot of the difference right now in the Blue Jays being uh, where they should be with that 500 record or above 500 record, where they should be in the wild card, and maybe where they should be in the division as well. Uh, the Bison's influence is inescapable, I guess, at this point, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the Bison's have been, Ailish tells me, I was off for a couple of weeks, that you know the Bison's were probably the story of their run against uh, you know those bad teams and compiling a pretty good record and improving their standing briefly, uh, in the wild card uh, chase. But when you look at how important the Bisons have been, David Schneider uh, being chief among them, what in what ways has that been instructive for you? Like, is it like a positive where it's like, hey, there is more in the minor leagues than given credit for? Or is like, wow, they really needed these guys, which means or says something about where they're at the major league level? Yeah, I mean, when you especially look at Schneider and the fact that it feels like their offense is reliant upon him, granted they're a little bit injured right now, but I, I think that there's, you know, some positive and maybe a little bit of, of negative to take out from that as well. Like, he has been remarkable. It's great that he's put himself in a position where he can hit higher up in the lineup and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, for for the Blue Jays, uh, you know, it would be better to not rely upon someone who's under 30 games into their career, who was, you know, drafted in the in the late 20s and rounds. And even, you know, as I'm a fairly big or a pretty big supporter of him and was when he was in the minors too, like I was not expecting an offense to be reliant upon him. I was expecting him to be a rotational player that pinch hits and does some other things. So I said, well enough, they got to keep him in the lineup and that makes sense. But yeah, it, it's I don't, I don't think it's an awesome sign for the Blue Jays how reliant they feel upon a lot of the Bisons guys right now, they're incredibly inexperienced with maybe the exception of Ernie Clement, who had had some major league time with two other organizations before the Blue Jays called him up. And it, it is good for the minors. These are not the youngest guys in the minor leagues at the end of the day. I mean, I just mentioned Clement. He's 27 years old. Spencer Horwitz uh, is 25 years old. And David Schneider is 24, which, I mean, you know, none of those guys are older guys and they still have runway to contribute for some future years. So it is nice to see that they've come up and, and maybe there is a way that they factor into the roster next year, specifically with Clement and Horwitz, you know, it is at least very directly attributed to injury. It's not like Bobachet wasn't playing well enough. So Ernie Clement had to go uh, and play shortstop for this team or, or that they weren't happy with Brandon Belt's 
uh, you know, you could argue Bichette and Belts were their two most productive hitters this season, to be honest. So um, it is a, a lot to do with injury in the cases of those two guys. But yeah, they're they're too reliant on those guys as, as well as they've played. You don't want you know, three year better offensive players to be the 27th, 28th and 29th man on the 26 man roster as of two months ago. Speaking of injuries, uh, looks like Matt Chapman might be on the cusp of returning shortly. Uh, how do you think the Blue Jays can best utilize him? Uh, we've seen some good returns for some fill-in uh, spots. I mean, Biggio has been uh, a good sign. There's been a little bit of positivity with some of the uh, infield decisions that they've made in in response to Matt Chapman being out, but and he hasn't been an offensive threat, but he's a defensive player that we, we definitely think the Blue Jays need. So how do they work that in properly? How do they, who, who's moving is what I'm trying to ask. I, I think he's going to end up playing most days. I think as well as Biggio has played recently and as well as Espinal has played recently, um, you know, I, I still think the offensive ceiling is significantly higher, frankly, for a guy like Matt Chapman, uh, you know, his month, his first month of the season and then his month of July as well um, were both, like, more productive months than you'll see. And at this point, they they need the highest ceiling, I think, possible, especially offensively. They need some home runs, some extra base power. So I, I think that Espinal and Biggio have certainly bought themselves more time, like a couple days a week maybe, instead of Chapman being – you know, a seven out of seven guy, kind of like he was before he got injured and bought themselves more pinch hit opportunities and stuff like that. Benefit for both of them is that they play a lot of different positions too. So you can kind of work them in in some different spots, whether it's third or for Espinal short or for both of them second or for Biggio the outfield. But uh, I do. I, I do and would expect, especially given some recent comments from John Schneider as well, that Matt Chapman will play most days at third base when he's back. And, and the Blue Jays will hope that, you know, it, it's tough to ask someone to get really hot coming off an injury, but hope that he can get really hot and, and provide something for this offense as well in the final, you know, 15-ish games of the year. Last one for you, Ben. Uh, how has your opinion of Vlad Jr. evolved over the course of the season? Uh, you know, I mean, it's certainly, I, I think when I think about my opinion of him, I think about the long-term future of, of the Blue Jays and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. You know, there, there will only be one more season before they, in theory, go to the negotiating table and think about this. And, and I think that the proposition of, of giving Vladdy the long, long-term deal uh, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about 300 million. I don't think any first baseman really makes that kind of money, to be honest. But um, I, I think the proposition of giving uh, 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 over 100 million dollar long term deal is is looking riskier than it was before. At the end of the day, you know, I still think he's an immensely talented player, but it uh, it hasn't worked out. It's kind of the second season in a row that he has not been, you know, as productive as. We thought he could be, and last year he was injured for a lot of the year, and he still had 32 home runs, granted, and had like a fairly good season. But, yeah, I, I think that it's it's a little bit uh, riskier maybe in the, in the long term than I thought it would be before. It, it still is crazy. He's the youngest player on the entire team, uh, and, and I do think it, it's easy to forget. But, I mean, the production speaks for itself. It hasn't been there, and uh, it certainly, you know, is not looking like, the same guy that we thought he might be when we saw him two years ago. No, at least it hasn't been this year, uh, and uh, that will have to change if he's going to bag $300 million uh, in the future. Uh, ben, this is fun catching up with you this morning. Uh, we appreciate uh, you uh, coming on, and uh, yeah, all the best here in the Blue Jays season.
Thanks so much for having me on, Justin Nalish. I'll talk to you guys later. That's Ben Shulman, Blue Jays broadcaster, Sportsnet 590, the fan. You mentioned Chapman, getting him in there. Like, that would be the least John Schneider thing ever to have an available Matt Chapman and be like, you know what, we like Biggio. He's, he's been playing well for I us. Like Biggio has certainly earned that look. Yeah, I mean, and he likes Biggio as well. But, I mean, just making, like, a hard decision doesn't seem to be, you know something that's going to happen. Like even a hard decision on Alec Manoa seemed impossible, right? Like Mm -hmm. they were playing that game with Manoa forever. Like he is at some point and and I, Matt Chapman's going to play obviously. Um, But it just seems like, you know, it was reserved for Bo Bichette last year. The hard decision Did that backfire in any way. At least it doesn't seem like with Bo, but yeah, this this it's going to be status quo, and status quo is going to get you the finish line. I just don't know where they're going to finish once they do reach the finish line. Should I read a couple texts? Yeah, why not? Trevor in Toronto. Incredibly disappointing effort last night. Possibly the only or second only time I've left a game early. If they somehow host a playoff game, I promise I won't leave early. I won't be there. <laughs> Dave and Barry. Very dramatic uh, reading there. Dave and Barry. This is good. It's good. This is like me battling my internal thoughts. The realist in me says this lineup is flawed. Trading offense for defense to this extreme was a mistake, and Schneider doesn't seem to have what it takes to A, motivate his guys or mentor them through rough patches, and B, make decisions in important spots. The optimist in me says, if you're a team of sports destiny, now would be the time for a magical run and wipe away people's fears. Eloquently put, Dave. Yeah, I mean, uh, to to the first point, like, it, it's not all on Vlad, right? It's not all his fault. Clearly, his his step back or the direction that his uh, career trajectory has gone has influenced things. But I think there was, uh, an, you know, an overextension on the part of management trying to change this team. And they changed this team in a way where it's been damaging. Mm-hmm. It's not just one player failing to be what he was advertised to be. There are flaws beyond him, and they've existed the entire season. If you're not look at them, then you're, you know, you're gleefully uh, looking somewhere else or trying to direct your anger or place your anger somewhere where it doesn't belong exclusively. Here's uh, here's a text that kind of I feel like wraps up the lack of urgency or killer instinct that I, I see when I watch this team. No name on it. I was at the game last night. I agree it was a waste of time. Springer's face on the replay after he caught the fly ball at the wall said to me, I don't want to be here. What sums up this team is Vladdy has no business hitting the top five, but there's no other option of players stepping up to take that spot. That celebration of a single last night was atrocious. A four-run deficit in the fourth used to be not concerning, and now it is. A six-run deficit in the fifth used to be no issue. There's no fight. They are playing through the motions of a season. That's all. Snaps. Yeah, I mean, four-run deficit. There's just, uh, I don't know. Did that, did that happen a few times when I was gone against bad teams? Did they come back in games? I'm not really sure, but that's, they have, that seems like an impossibility. They're priding themselves on, I saw a tweet They from, can front run. They've had 34 comeback wins this really? season. Really? Yeah, it's actually impressive. Of the one-run one, one variety, I assume? Most of them? They're the Danielle in my ear said they're the only team in baseball since the All-Star break to not overcome a three-run deficit. There you go. That's That sounds well, like three more... Runs. That's that's the one that resonates a little bit yes. more with your thoughts or aligns with your thoughts on this team. Okay, we'll take uh, your texts all morning, 595 and 90. Um, let's do something to chew on. Uh, it's time for something to chew on, brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Ooh. Ooh.
That was terrible. Ooh. Not quite gunner level, Ooh. but on the path towards it. Okay, Giannis. Giannis, Giannis, Giannis is maybe soft launching a way out of the Milwaukee Bucks organization. You know how you soft, people soft launch now? Do you know what that means? Uh, yeah, Explain it for those who don't. It's like, <laughs> let's say you're dating somebody yeah, yeah, yeah. and you don't want to be like, boom, Instagram posts, I'm engaged. It's like maybe you take a, you take a photo <laughs> of... Like you're at dinner yeah. and the photo has got someone else's like arm in the shot. Oh, like you're yeah, soft yeah, yeah. launching that I've you're on a date. I've seen people play that game. Yeah, or like you're you're somewhere and you tag someone in a photo and you're like, oh, interesting. You're hanging out with that person mm. and it's like someone's arm and then then it's like you you know anyway you're soft launching okay, a relationship. Yeah, yeah, so I, I think that Giannis is soft launching that he might want to have a future away from the Milwaukee Bucks. Let's play the clip himself speaking about this very topic. As long as we play and we approach the game every single day the right way, and we all sacrifice for a common goal, I can see myself being in Milwaukee Bucks for the rest of my career. But the moment I feel like people are not committed as, a, as, as I am to get that uh, golden pin in the back, I, I, I am not. You know, I am I'm a Milwaukee Buck, but most importantly, I'm a winner. I want to win. And uh, I have to do whatever it takes for me to win. And if there's a better situation for me to win the Larry O'Brien, I, I have to take that better situation. Oh, if there's a better situation for me to win the Larry O'Brien, I have to take that situation. He's eligible to sign the largest contract in NBA history next summer, a five-year Supermax, which would be worth $334 million. Mm-hmm. But you put this out, this is on the 48 Minutes podcast. Um, if you put this out now and this season isn't going as planned, I mean, the the big conversation will be, is it time for Giannis to move on and play in a different market, play yeah. for a different team? Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I think this could be like multifaceted in terms of his like intentions. I think it's probably, hey, you know, this, I'm, uh, there may be another time where if if – Exactly what he said, where if they're not reaching or holding up their end of the bargain, then I don't need to necessarily be here forever. But I also think it was like, hey, why haven't I played with like an elite, elite, elite player yet? Mm. Like, why haven't, why hasn't Milwaukee brought in someone so I don't have to be the guy you don't at think all times? Signing like, Chris Middleton was enough. And Chris Middleton's, <laughs> you know, he's good and he's serviceable and it's helped them win. But like, eventually, he's probably thought and he's probably still grappling with the fact that they ran into a wall last year and they weren't good enough last year and they haven't been uh, and that you might need something more to get yourselves over the top and he just hasn't had that like superstar splashy move to come play with him. Why hasn't anyone gone to play with Giannis? Well, part of it's Milwaukee, but part of it maybe is unwillingness uh, on the part of management or whatever to bring in that guy to pull off that big deal that will make him happy and make them more competitive than they have been or at least have them reach their potential. Remember when everyone's falling over themselves to like <laughs> celebrate how he was like, you know, f- failure, the, the whole failure thing after they lost? Like oh, it's not the yeah. biggest thing in the world. Yes. And I, I mean, doesn't this run a little bit counter to that? I mean, maybe things have changed this offseason. Shouldn't, shouldn't every reflecting. season with Milwaukee just be a gift and a learning, <laughs> a learning opportunity maybe for Maybe he Giannis? sees other people bringing home hardware and he's getting a little jealous. Learning at a higher level. I mean, he easily could have just been like, I love being a Milwaukee buck and I want to spend the rest of my career here. But he kept that door open. He opened it even further. Um, okay, we're going to shift to a little bit of NHL talk. It's been a while since we've had any real news. Um, we got some new uh, some new captains. 
and some Babcock thoughts to go through. Uh, we've got our guest Steve Coolius joining us, host of the Power Play on Sirius XM NHL Network. Coming after the break, and then we'll get back into some Blue Jays uh, with Jared Sandler. But we're going to wrap up our show with Ian Eagle at 8.30. One of the best friends to our pal, Charles Davis. Willie Dish on CD. I just need one tidbit of Charles Davis information from Ian Eagle. And then, of course, setting up tonight's Vikings-Eagles game in Philly, which he'll be calling. Um, and we can move to some Thursday night football, get some Thursday night football picks. Maybe Justin and I will do some pick aside that we kept from last season. It's been a while since we did that. Mm. Maybe we maybe do that for next this uh, tomorrow for this weekend. Yeah, we'll figure something out. All right, let's take a break. Covering the Blue Jays from an analytical perspective. Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. Be sure to subscribe and download Jays Talk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin Cuthbert, and Ailish Forfar. Some NHL news the last couple weeks. We're getting going here. Did you see the headshots that were posted by the NHL uh, account yesterday? No, I didn't. Oh, my God. I got to show you during the break. Like these serious mugshot headshots of the guys. It's, It's good. It's good comedy. Interesting selection of, I guess they were doing that in Vegas. Yes. Or they're in Henderson, Nevada. Yeah. Doing things, Samsonov and Tavares. Is that, that's that's the representation for the. Yeah, that's a strange selection, but go oh, Sammy, go. Yeah, it's a big spot for you for Sammy. Uh, big spot this season uh, for Sammy, and of course the Toronto Maple Leafs. So we'll discuss the Leafs and more with our next guest here, Steve Coolius, host of the Power Play on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Uh, good morning, Steve. Thanks for jumping on with us. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, Ailish. What about the picture of Bedard and Crosby, like a dressing room picture yes. yesterday? Oh, mm-hmm. Ailish, that's beautiful. It and was. guess who's going? Guess who's going to Chicago and Pittsburgh to see Leafs, Hawks, Leafs, <gasps> Penguins, U.S. Thanksgiving? Wow. That's me. That's Thank a hot God ticket. Yeah, oh, the American holidays are mine too. It's great. <laughs> I love it. I get I get all the holidays and. Add them up and take them off in the summer. I love it. That, USA, USA. <laughs> that's that's a pretty that's a pretty quality uh, pretty quality road trip. I like that. Uh, I wonder the, the Bedard Crosby thing. I mean, what 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 do you think that's all about? I mean, it's a little content play, of course, for the NHL. Others who are involved there, passing but, uh, of a torch. You know, yeah, it's a little. Uh, you think you don't think Crosby likes being involved in that sort of thing, or is it sort of a little bit uh, a little bit put on? Well, for sure, it's a little bit put on because somebody says, you here, 87, please sit here. And, and but, but listen, Sid knows, going back to when he was 18, the proverbial passing, as Eilish mentioned, of the Canadian hockey torch. And a lot of this of the elite of the elite, uh, thankfully for now anyway, are, are still our guys. And, you know, I think Sid will still be around that these guys are going to play together. And it might be, who knows, 97, 98, 87 down the middle if we do get to the next World Cup in Toronto. So I think there's something about the obligation of doing what happened from Gretzky to Lemieux to Lindros, et cetera. So I think it's exciting. I think Sid has a lot left still in the tank and will be in the 90-point range this year. Uh, what the other Connor does, I'm not so sure. Everyone's got their ideas of what it will be. But I think it's about selling the game, not, not just in America, not just in Australia now, um, but everywhere else, it's exciting. They play on opening night. I love it. I think 98's for real. And, and, and I love this kind of stuff. 
What else are we going to talk about here in September for a guy like me who's a one-trick <laughs> pony? I got tickets to the Jays game on Sunday. Oh, I don't know no. if I want to go right don't now, guys. Don't go, Steve. What are you doing, man? I mean, actually, we'll see. You know, yeah, the, they, they could turn it around. But go and voice your I was opinion. there last night. And it was tough. So maybe you can bring the positivity if you go on Sunday. Um, yeah, Connor Bedard, I think there's obviously this is a generational talent, right? We've been praising him um, all all year, all the last two years and into this season. I think a lot of people are... are are unsure of what to predict for predict predict for this season. I mean, it's not going to be an, an immaculate Chicago Blackhawks team, but he's going to have a big opportunity to put a stamp on this season. Uh, he seems to be the guy that's dedicated, that's driven, that's got a good head on his shoulder. Like you listen to his interviews, he's he's very humble, he's hardworking, uh, he's driven. How do you begin to project what you expect from Connor Bedard, and is he in this spot, maybe in the Chicago market, and the way that that roster? looks that he can kind of take a little bit of time to become this generational star that we're hoping for. Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely rock bottom. And by looking at the four divisions, I mean, Montreal's still the worst team in the Atlantic, but they will be a good bad team mm. compared to probably San Jose, Chicago, and even Philadelphia. Like the, I don't, I don't think there's any shame in finishing last in the division for Montreal, but the Hawks are still the worst team in the league. And looking back in other years, in and around different eras of hockey. You know, I don't think it's going to be Joe Sackick around 100 points, minus 40 with the Quebec Nordiques. He'll get his points because he's going to be on the ice late when they're losing 6-4 and still pick up garbage points in that situation. And who knows if he'll be on the ice if they're ever up 5-4 to pick up garbage points with empty net goals. Um, But the power play will run around him. I think they'll swarm him at the beginning. So there'll be a lot of passes uh, across the railroad to Taylor Hall, so he'll get his points. I'm I'm in the range now about 30 goals and almost 40 assists. Uh, Anthony Stewart was on the show yesterday, and he thinks he'll get more goals than points because there's nobody else to pass to and that he's going to be a shoot-first, shoot-first guy. I think that'll happen, but eventually he'll realize he'll have to move the park. But I can see him getting around 73 points with 30-something goals, guys. He's that good, and it's not going to be Crosby's 102 or Ovechkin's 106 when they started, but the league is more offensive. Nobody really body checks anymore. So I, I think it's going to be a special year. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If he gets higher than that, OMG, that would be awesome for the Hawks in the NHL. Uh, one advantage he'll have, at least over his Columbus Blue Jackets rookie counterpart, uh, Adam Fantilli, is he won't have to worry about what's in his camera roll. Uh, that's reserved for members of the Columbus Blue Jackets, apparently. Uh, what did you think of the report that uh, Mike Babcock, you know, was maybe crossing a, a, a boundary by asking to see photos of, of family members of his new uh, players, or do you think this has been blown totally out of proportion? Well, at the beginning, Justin, I, I thought, oh, shucks. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, my heart sank. I'm, yeah, I've known Mike and, you know, Olympics and Toronto, and same with you guys as well. So I, I didn't want a situation that, that the story was true. So at the beginning, we all do our due diligence, and then as it, you know, evolved over the last couple of hours or that day into the afternoon and, blue, and the Blue Jackets threw water on it, I have to believe just what the PAs investigated and Bill Daly said in Vegas, um, that it was blown out of proportion. I don't have a problem if the boss says, look, we want a bonding, you know, meeting. Uh, bring five of your funniest or best pictures of the summer. Let's get to know you. You pick the pictures as opposed to saying, Justin, give me your flipping phone and I'm going to take it. And I'm going to pick the pictures 
Uh, first of all, I would never give up my phone anyway. I don't think wherever you are in the workplace, you should ever do. You, we've got rights, you know. So the, the way the story started, of course, it was ugly, bad, and, and probably a fireable offense to the point where we are now. We'd like to think it was more um, transparent, open, let's get to know each other honestly, in a positive way, and the psychology of saying, if you're front and center of all your pictures, you're an A personality. You're about yourself. You're about, you know, being the center of attention at the party. If you're in none of your pictures and it's about the landscape or your family and your dog, um, maybe you're more, you know, introverted, and and that's the psychology behind the whole thing. I'm not against that. So we know which way this story could be if more stuff comes out in the future, but the way it The way I see it now, you guys tell me if I'm wrong, it seems like it was a bit overblown, and hopefully that is the case for Mike. If it's not, and Biz stands by his story, who knows what comes out in the future? Yeah, the subject matters, right? Like, uh, there are people in all, you know, walks of life, media, sports, whatever, entertainment, where if they do something, it gets more attention, and people love to pile on. And, And Mike Babcock's in a position now where people love to pile on good or bad like innocent or otherwise i mean people are going to take more and make it bigger than it maybe should be because it's mike babcock and i wonder is that is there a reason to believe that the blue jackets decision to hire him was misguided because he is so polarizing and because whatever he does is going to attract some negative attention that's a great question justin and i look at it this way looking at it you know back at the blue jackets history They've only really done well with who behind the bench? John Tortorella. Like, they brought in a name to be a name and to, you know, kick butt, so to speak, as much as you can kick butt in the modern era. And then they went the cheaper, greener route, and that didn't work, and they brought in some more players, and they've drafted well. And this is like a two-year mini trial, and Mike wants back in. And because of the story and Mike wanting back in and and getting an opportunity – this was like the wrong story at the wrong time. But if we believe that it was overblown, then we have to push that aside and say, I don't think the stuff that happened, let's say in Toronto, would happen in Columbus. And then Mike's learned while he's been away and that he's too good as a coach, as a X's and O's guy and everything that he's done with Detroit and building in Toronto and Team Canada, that he can't make Columbus better. Does that mean they'll finish higher than seventh? That's where I have them right now. I don't know, but the idea is to push this puck forward and use the talent around him um, and, and make the team better. I, I think they will be better. You know, they're way better than Philadelphia, but I think it was too good not to be in the league. And this two-year mini sample, put it this way, you come to work and who's running the ship? And I've been at places where, you know, when this guy was running the ship, I was on alert. And you've been in the places sometimes where it's been the Muskoka Five, and it's been, I'm, you know, maybe I don't have it all. Well, I can't say I don't have it all because I think I work too much anyway. But you, you, you might not have that fear factor of, you know, what's going on. And I think by having that over 180 days of a long regular season, that Bab still has that, and they're on alert. The Sutter factor in L.A. when he got there. Dustin Brown was on the show yesterday. He said it was different. The second Daryl arrived, I think it's different with people like Torts, Daryl, and Mike Babcock. That's my opinion, guys. 
How different is the Maple Leafs setup then this year? Uh, Brad Treleven comes in and makes a couple tidy signings and a couple tidy extensions, including keeping Sheldon Keefe around for another two years after this season instead of having him as a lame duck coach. It felt like a very comfortable move. Hey, we'll stop the narrative about him maybe not having an extension after the season. We'll let the guys on the bench sitting in on the ice know that this coach is going to be locked in for a while. It feels comfortable. And I don't know if the blue, if the blue chase, oh God, I don't know if the Maple Leafs need to be living in a comfortable area, but that's seemingly the way that Brad Trey living is starting his tenure here. Totally agree. Totally agree. So that means once he's kind of signed off on being comfortable, then it's time for the players to take whatever situation they've learned from last year's mini run, if you want to call, you know, getting into the second round, a mini run mm. and pushing it, pushing it back on saying these seven regular seasons have been special in the Matthews administration. It, it has. And I think that maybe sometimes Leaf fans don't take a step back to say that run to get in against Washington. The heartbreaks were bad. The regular season, that is great. Top four. Vegas was top four. Now it's time to succeed in the playoffs. They, they brought in people that should, in theory, help them more so than the guys they, they lost last year, notwithstanding trade deadline acquisitions, which can still happen and I think still will happen to improve the blue, blue line on March the 1st. But they still will be, well, I, I think they're the best team in the division. They should win the division. This regular season is about playing one of the wild cards and in theory getting an easier matchup if it would be one versus eight in the conference and eight is Detroit or eight is Ottawa or maybe eight is Buffalo. But the fact that there seemed to be Something about the Matthews deal, then the extension for Keith. Matthews for sure is in Sheldon's corner. I think the group is. And, you know, I'm okay with that if they feel that this is the best thing for winning. And the regular season speaks for itself for Sheldon. And obviously we know where the playoffs are at. It doesn't matter because at the least start like Babcock did the, the, the what was it, uh, oh boy, five, <laughs> seven. Something like one. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, eight, nine, and one. So whatever it was when they had the losing skid. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no. They were nine, five and change. Mm. They lost to get to nine, 10. And, and that was it. It's only money in Toronto. So if it doesn't work out by us Thanksgiving, then Sheldon would be gone. And Keith Boucher's right there. Anyway, mm. I don't think it's going to get to that. I really believe they believe being comfortable is the best thing. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm not saying that I love it. And let's see where this thing goes. Once we get to March and the deadline and everything else, they'll be in. And then this administration will be judged on this one year and what happens once again in April, May, and God forbid if the Leafs ever play a game in June, which I don't, they played in August, but they haven't played in June. So really, really, it's about execution. Execute or be executed is what tree living is pushed back on this group. Looks like he tried, um, at least we've heard, to get the William Nylander contract extension wrapped up and looks like we might enter training camp right around the corner without that. Um, what do you think that they should do, how they'll approach a season like this, and what Nylander is gaining or maybe losing from going into the season uh, with that unresolved? I think he doesn't care. Like He seems like, a, a, what I guess he was born in Winnipeg, he's Swedish, Canadian, California. It doesn't matter to Willie. I think that I think he's going to play on the lease this year, probably without a contract to start an extension. They'll see how it goes, because I think more so this year than many of the others, this is just about this year, and with guys on one-year deals, and Willie as well, 
the Leafs will see how things go. If it's an unmitigated disaster and Ron Wilson shows up and the 18-wheeler goes off the cliff in January, who knows what will happen uh, approaching the spring. Uh, but I think he's going to have a great year. And I think it's imperative to have like a Bertuzzi, Matthews, Varner, Domi, Tavares, Nylander. They need him to have a top six. And they don't need the defense to be playoff ready now to still have a great regular season. That has to change. Like one more top four would have to come, you know, in the Scott Mayfield, Radko Gudis type once they got to, you know, mid-April. But for now, I don't think it matters as much. Willie plays without a contract to start. The Leafs need him. I think he needs, he needs the Leafs right now. And he's going to have a great season. And that top six is going to be as good as any top six in the National Hockey League. So I think it's carry on. Move forward, wayward son, until we get into the gritty time of making a decision later in the year. Yeah, that's the new reality of the NHL, right? You can't really complete your roster before the season. It's almost like you have to leave space uh, for an in-season deal to actually complete it or make it look like it's uh, completely ironclad and postseason ready. And that's definitely uh, the reality for the Maple Leafs and Brad for living. Last one for you here, Steve. What What is the most intriguing storyline league-wide for you entering the season? Like, what is the thing that stands out the most in terms of intrigue and unknown? I love that question, too. I asked the same one yesterday, so I love it. I love it. It was a beautiful question. Uh, the about-to-be, um, I don't know if it's implosion or um, spending money or winning the press conference, but what happens with the Pittsburgh Penguins? To me, this is their grade 12 year, and I think it can only get worse after this. Like This is the meal, Banya. This is the season, Mr. Dubas, right now. <laughs> If they don't make the playoffs this year, they're not making it the years after. Like, it's for now, and then I think that But you cannot stop in this league. 91% of all 100 points and 50-goal seasons are scored by those who are 29 or younger kids. That's the stat. The Penguins are aging. The Capitals are aging. No one stops father time. So can the Penguins... Finish fourth? That's the best they can do in the Metro Division? Let's see if that happens with Carlson and Crosby and Riley Smith and everything else. Kyle Spence, Spence, Spence. He got tips from Miss Freeland, I think. I don't know if this thing's going to work, but I'm intrigued to see what happens. And as you know, I'll see it live on November 25th. So it's real life, real drama, real radio and TV. I can attest, Steve, it was all downhill after grade 12. (laughs) <laughs> well, you can even mail it in your senior spring during grade 12, right? You think you're already on the finish line, your diploma's waiting, and maybe you accidentally failed data management. Yeah, or, uh, that could goes. happen. I don't think Kyle Dubas is failing calculus, so I think he's got that one uh, on lock. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this experiment works, but like... It's a weird, conflicting thing because if you're a Leaf fan, do you really want to see Dubas have all the success somewhere? Classic, but do I want to see it? Crosby of his last seasons wasted? I, I, I still don't know how I feel about all this. Yeah, no, Sid, Sid won't be the problem. I, I, Sid won't be the problem. And I understand what Kyle did. I get all of that stuff. And it, it made sense to, you know, to a degree. And But look at the roster. I mean, they can't do anything about Jeff Carter. What will they do missing Gensel for, remember, until maybe U.S. Thanksgiving, maybe earlier. I, I, I love the – it's fascinating, fascinating. Um, I got 38% in grade 12 math, which uh, 
allowed me to uh, not affect my Ryerson grades moving forward. So there, <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, Steve, this is fun catching up with you. Uh, it'll be fun to track everything. We'll get you on mm-hmm. again before you go on that epic road yes. trip because we, we want to tee that up a little bit. Oh, that's going to be great. And remember, I'm going as a, you know, more of a fan with the boys, you know, that's yeah. Fun. Like, that's fun. you got to enjoy life. You got to enjoy life. You guys keep up the great work. And when you call, I'll answer. Awesome. There you go. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Uh, it's Steve Coolius, host of the Power Play on Sirius XM. That's a road NHL trip, Network eh? Radio. That is a road trip. I don't think I have anything planned in terms of uh, seeing the buds out of Ontario. I'm going to check when they play Buffalo. That'd be a fun one to get down to. But th- you weren't here when I read that thing about the Sabres trying to ban out-of-market ticket sales. Oh, I did hear a little bit about that, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best move for old Terry Pagula. Oh, because they're just going to... People are going to buy them on the resale market and come down even more. Yeah, I suppose. But like Droves. maybe he's a little bit more or they're a little bit more confident. I guess it's not his exclusive decision. They're a little bit more confident about, uh, you know, selling out, being good. I'm I not really the, sure. I, I don't think I don't, the Sabres are going to be good. We've been waiting show. on Buffalo or Ottawa or Detroit for a long uh, time. Ottawa. They locked up their young core for quite a while. They that have. Jake Sanderson deal the other day, eight years. It's like, aggressive. The guy's played 77 NHL games. That is an aggressive deal. But again, Let's in five, go, five years when they every single so player good. is underpaid, they might, be, might so they might be the best team in the league. Um, okay, well, hockey season right around the corner. Getting excited for that. Uh, it'll be nice to have something to cheer for. Yeah. You're waffling. It, you were a little positive to start. Now you're yeah, negative again. I'm getting. I'm riding the roller coaster of the morning after the lowest point of the Blue Jays season. Okay, let me uh, let me go through it. Texting with people in the text line. We're working through our feelings. Uh, let's talk to Jared Sandler after the break. Rangers pregame and postgame hosts at 105.3 The Fan. Uh, probably feeling much better than Blue Jays fans this morning after a 10 nothing drubbing the hands of the Rangers last night. Uh, we'll end our show with Ian Eagle, play-by-play announcer for CBS sports westwood one and yes network um that'll be a great game tonight vikings eagles thursday night football and we'll take your wake and make picks at 595 and 90 all that next on the fan morning show